With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Tennis.com podcast. Once again, I'm Ed McGrogan here with Steve Tigner, catching up after uh, both the Madrid and Rome Masters premiere event, combined events. Um, you know, quite a bit to digest, I think, Steve, after these two weeks. You know, we really... We really see the clay season, you know, getting started earlier in Monte Carlo and Stuttgart, and then everybody kind of combines together to make, you know, these really mini slams before the big one coming up. Yeah, I think this gave you a pretty good idea of, you know, I think this sort of brought some order back to back to tennis going into the French Open. I think before Madrid, there were some questions about the top players about Serena. Um, maybe some of her her desire and her fitness. Uh, Djokovic had a wrist problem. Rafael Nadal had been losing. And now all three of those are sort of back where they usually are heading into the French Open after these two weeks. So, um, you know, that way it was sort of clarifying and it showed that, you know, maybe things aren't changing as much as we had thought, you know, a month ago. Now, now along those lines, I mean, what do you think of how this, uh, you know, transpired specifically for for Nadal? Because I think it's kind of obvious for Djokovic. I think it's a little harder to put into to put something definite about Nadal because, you know, on the one hand, he does get the Madrid title into the Rome final, um, but you know, in the comparisons of the you know the highest of high standards that we put to him, you know, it it clearly wasn't the dominant Rafa run through an event like this. And he was even, you know, reeling a bit in Madrid uh, you know, against Nishikori and obviously, you know, against Djokovic takes the loss after winning the first set, which has kind of been a rarity, you know, in their rivalry even. So, you know, where do you really see Rafa into this? Do you, you know, is, you know, I guess the, the question begs, you know, is he still the favorite at Roland Garros? I think it's a 50-50 proposition for Rafa after Rome. He um, had been playing poorly and pretty been pretty unsure of himself and was you know admitting that even early in Rome. But the, his quarterfinal against Andy Murray kind of changed that, that he sort of forced to play his best tennis to win, and he did. And then he continued that against Dimitrov in the semis with an easy win. And then he didn't play badly against Djokovic. So... On that side, it's a positive in that I think Nadal will go into the French Open thinking he's playing well again and he'll be confident in his own game. On the negative side is he played pretty well against Djokovic and lost. Djokovic was just better on clay, the match going into the French Open. That 
you know, that happened in 2011 and now it's happened again. That part will, you know, if he faces Djokovic, this match, you know, that's not going to give Rafa a lot of confidence. So I think, I think it's, I'd say it's about 50-50. One thing that's good for Rafa is he'll, he can go into the French Open and say, make the claim plausibly that he's not the favorite, which he always does. But um, this will allow him to do that, you know, with a straight face. So I think right. <laughs> he won't be the overwhelming favorite to win the French Open. Yeah, and I always, and I also think about you know as as it relates to Rafa and Roland Garros, you know obviously it's a best of five there. It's going to take three sets to beat him, and I and I do you know kind of wonder looking at looking back on the matches that he has lost this year on clay, you know, to Ferrer to Almagro, um, you know I think Djokovic obviously is sort of an exception. You know maybe maybe not though. You know how many of those best two out of three matches, you know how many of those still could have went Rafa's way had it been a best of five. And I'm, I'm not exactly trying to make excuses for Nadal, but it's you know it's a question that absolutely bears asking. You know considering his you know near perfect record. You know, in that format, and you know that's what's really going to be asked of all the players, and you know that includes Djokovic, who, you know, who is obviously, you know, I think, I think getting a win this year against Rafa and Clay certainly will do him a lot of good. It also, you know, the dynamic between these two really reminds me a lot of kind of Nadal catching up slowly but seemingly surely to Federer on grass at Wimbledon back in 07 and 08. And even when they met, you know, two years before that in 06 at Wimbledon, you saw a steady progression from, you know, sort of a, a you know, a clear favorite underdog scenario to, you know, um, getting a really close match and finally overcoming you know, Federer at Wimbledon. I, you know, I could see something like that certainly happening to Rafa at the French too. You know, that's kind of the impression I get of everything. Yeah, we've probably we've kind of been waiting up for that for three years. Djokovic was the best player in 2011, but he didn't get a chance to play Rafa. Federer beat him in the semis. Then they played a four-set final in 2012. Rafa beat him. Then they played a five-set semi 2013. Rafa beat him. So by that progression, you would think this is this is really Djokovic's moment. Though I think we've probably said that each of the last three years, also. Yeah, it's true. We we have given him that um, you know this is the time to kind of put up or shut up, really. But and and as it goes toward that, you you know even though I think you you can make that case again, you could also I think make the case that you know this is a great chance for Djokovic, of course. But you know in coming years too, where you're seeing. Rafa, I think, off of that invincibility plane that he's been on. And Djokovic really, you know, a little, seemingly, I think, you know, a little bit younger and, you know, certainly not as injury prone. You know, he may well have many chances to win that French Open. But, of course, you know, the longer he goes without winning it, it's going to kind of build up the pressure a lot where, you know, it's still that one title that he hasn't won. Yeah, I would say the last two sets that he played in Rome were about as well from an aggressive standpoint, about as well as I've seen him play on clay, you know, if that should help him, you know, you would think going into the French, if he can do something like that, then, you know, really this time there's really no reason that, that he shouldn't win it this year. Yeah. Is, you know, as we talk about those two, you know, there's obviously going to be a lot before that final, you know, that potential match is not, is not until another three weeks away. And, you know, there's plenty of, 
plenty of reasons why that could not happen. Of course, we've you, both of these two really went through a number of three setters um, in Rome to get to the final there. Um, you know, as it relates to the rest of the men, you know, where are you seeing the field kind of at the moment? Because that's kind of kind of be the you know the the playing card is the the field against against these guys here. And yeah, I, I, we saw I think some surges from some perhaps some trendy players, some picks. Um, you know, we we saw as you mentioned in your grades today, really Ravrinka kind of disappoint after that great Monte Carlo run. Um, you know, Federer kind of, I think, just as much of a wild card at this point with, you know, not knowing his form. And, and you know, Andy Murray, too, showing a nice bit of play against Roth there. You're kind of where do you see the rest of the men's field, you know, besides these two? I would say I would have said before this week that there was I would say that there was the best chance in a while that you would have seen um, either Nadal or Djokovic or both not reach the final. They they both seem to be a little shaky now. Now you've you've seen them make the final in Rome and sort of sort of correct what was wrong with them or right themselves for the moment. And also maybe even maybe you know just as important, the guy who who seemed to be the wild card in it, Stan Wawrinka, has come down to earth. You know he won in Monte Carlo and it looked like well is this going to be a very, very different clay court season? But um, that hasn't that hasn't been true. Stan has lost two early round matches, so you you have to think he's vulnerable to that at the French Open. And also somebody like Kane Nishikori, he really had Nadal on the ropes in Madrid, but but was hurt. Um, you wonder about him over two weeks, three out of five sets uh, at the French Open. What, is, can he last that long? He's another guy who's obviously dangerous. He can beat anybody. Um, but in a way, is, this, is he physically up to it? So so there have been people who, those two in particular, who've, who've shown you know they could be threats, but there's also there's also some flaws with them. And the same is true with Federer. He's had a good year, but right now, after having, you know, having his kids, uh, having kids, and playing one match total in Madrid and Rome, a loss to Jeremy Chardy, you, you don't figure him to, um, to, you know, to threaten for the title. You know, someone that I think is going to be a, a trendy pick as well, um, coming up for Roland Garros is going to be Anna Ivanovic, and I, and I bring her up to start off this chat because, you know, first she deserves a lot of mention because she is, first of all, a former French Open champion. And, you know, this year for her, she's already been Serena Williams at a major tournament in Australia and really looked the part of the player that I think so many of us really took to um, years ago before you know, a number of things really got in the way, you know, injury, some serving yips, really just a kind of a crisis in confidence, I think. Um, but I think, you know, when and I, and I I think of Yankovic, you know, Yelena Yankovic, when I think of her for a bunch of reasons, there's the obvious ones of being uh, from Serbia, both of them. But you think of those two and how kind of the level plane that you see from Yankovic, you kind of, exp- you know what you're going to get for the most part. And Ivanovic, it's really a boomer bust type of you know proposition for her, and we're really seeing some really nice tennis from Ivanovic going forward. And before I get in, you know, before we get into, I think Serena and Sharapova really, you know, kind of the the top two going into the French. I wonder what you thought of Ivanovic over this week and perhaps really this entire year so far. 
Yeah, she, um, you know, I think it was a big win for her, obviously, to beat Sharapova. She came close to beating Sharapova in Stuttgart, then she finished that match. I think that was a real, you know, that was a breakthrough. And then she she didn't lose the next match. She followed it up with, a, with a, I think, an equally good performance against Suarez Navarro. And she won a set from Serena. You know, she lost the two sets 6-1, the other two sets 6-1, 6-1, but she didn't, she wasn't blown off the court completely. Um, she made that a match. And I think that was important too. I think I don't see her winning the French Open, but, but it's not a joke to mention her name uh, as a contender anymore. I don't think she could beat Serena at the French, but I think she could beat anybody else. She's shown that she she can definitely beat Sharapova. And one th- thing that will help her and help everybody else below them is that Victoria Azarenka has announced today that she won't be playing the French Open. So there's another opening. So I think you know you have to pencil in Ivanovic as a as a threat to make the semis. Yeah, and um, you know, as we kind of circle around the field, you know, you, you talk about it. You know, Serena. I, I certainly don't think that it's going to be as as we talked about Nadal and Djokovic, fifty fifty between her and say Sharapova. You know, the winner of Madrid. You know, Serena, the winner of Rome. You know, that rivalry is just so lopsided one way. It's really impossible to call that another. You know, any other way really, and you know, until proven otherwise. You know, Serena for this year. What we've seen from her, I think, is is you know almost a little bit like Ivanovic, kind of just boom or bust to some degree. Where, you know, we have seen Serena stumble at events, but really follow it up almost every time with another you know convincing performance. And I think that's kind of how it went here. She goes, you know, she you know really didn't lose in Madrid technically. She you know just didn't you know didn't end up playing the quarterfinal. Um, but you know, coming out of Rome here, it, you know, it it's again kind of a hard thing to call you know anyone other than her you know a pretty sizable favorite in uh, in Paris. Yeah, I think her spring has reminded me of Nadal's and Djokovic's in that there were some question marks, and then when it when it really got down to getting close to the French Open in Rome, you know, she seemed to um, you know answer those questions. She, she there were no there was no real sluggish play from her in Rome. No. She didn't go into any funks that she can get into. She didn't have a conspicuously bad day. She just lost one set to Ivanovic, and that was you know pretty legit. I think I feel like I feel like Serena really, the, you know, with French Open coming up, she really she really focused, and and we saw that she's still there. She's still ready to win the French, and that reminds me of Djokovic and Nadal. Suddenly, as you get to the French, their problems kind of the problems that they've had sort of vanish. And you know, as it turns for the you know for the the field, I suppose on the women's side, um, you know, obviously we have we have Sharapova to talk about. We have you know a, a number two in Lina that you know on your grades really also kind of flatlined a bit in these past two clay events. Um, relatively speaking, of course, you know, you as you say. Number two in the world, former champion, but two corner final defeats, you know, qualifies as disappointment. Um, you know, Rodwanska, I feel like kind of hitting a bit of a ceiling. I, I could almost say the same for for Halep, except that you know Halep does make a, a, a huge final and the biggest of her, you know, you know one of the biggest of her career there. So it's. Um, you know, it, it's not. It, it, I think. I think Halep performs in. Paris is one of the really interesting story is and we see kind of really you know if this year for Halep is you know kind of a 
more of a progression still to get into that upper tier. You know, she's she's there, but you know, kind of where does it, it, it go next for her? Or if she kind of, I think, needs that bit of seasoning, you know, perhaps along the lines of what Stan Vavrinka went through a while back before you really see that breakthrough performance. Um, you know, and, and and you know, I'm thinking of others along the women's side. You know, we saw what Arani did, of course. You know, kind of befell by injury. You know, unfortunately, but. You know, that's what I'm kind of thinking about as it relates to the field on the women's side, things that come to mind, stories that we'll be watching for. Um, you know, how about yourself? Yeah, Halep is an interesting case. She's had a really good year. She's up to number four, which is amazing in a way. She, she, But she hasn't necessarily um, done it at the Grand Slams yet. She's, had, she's won a lot of titles. She's beaten good players. Um, she can, you know, I feel like she, she will struggle at the slams in a way the, the the slam winners on the women's side still tend to be the power players. Halep can hit for power, but it's but that's not her 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 strength. That's not her first sort of weapon. Is to isn't just to hit the ball past you. Um, so in a way, she's still for, sort of vulnerable. I think when you play a, over seven matches to somebody getting hot and beating her, um, the way Sybil Kova did at the Australian Open. So that is interesting. She's been a good week-to-week player her bodies you know, she's had some physical problems so we'll see about that but but um you know is she like is she as they say like a big stage player that that's a that's a definite question and and as you say i think red Wanska and lee now we know we know sort of where they are unlike Halep, we sort of lee not can do is always going to be i think up and down erratic red Wanska, i don't think clay will ever be her strongest surface she doesn't really hit the ball hard enough she can't generate enough of her own power, I think she's, you know, she's made the quarters at the French, and that seems like would be her ceiling. But but Halep's an interesting case because we don't really know what her ceiling is yet. You know, one thing that's going to be interesting when the draws come out on Friday, <clears throat> excuse me, is where um, Maria Sharapova is seated because you know she, I think most people would say, cleared the number two behind Serena and Clay, but not def- definitely not there in the rankings, and that could you know that could be it could be a case where. Um, you know, a uh, an earlier than expected encounter with you know I think an underseated player here, and you know it's it's not it's not to the degree where you want to necessarily uh, reseed according to you know somehow when Wimbledon does, but certainly Sharapova is going to come into this event a little underseated, but you know with a lot of momentum. Yeah, she's ranked eighth, so she would be probably seated seventh. Um, you know, as long as she's in the top eight, that that keeps her from meeting a top player until the quarters, you know, I think the one thing that she wouldn't want, obviously is Serena in her quarter or half, um, give somebody else another round, a chance to beat Serena. Um, but I think, you know, as long with her being in the top seven or eight, that I think that's, you know, that's reasonable and won't throw off the draw completely. Um, I, I suppose maybe Lena or Redwanska wouldn't, don't want to see her seated at that level, but, um, but yeah, I don't think you would ever see her be jump moved all the way up to number four by the French Open. Yeah, will um, there'll be a lot um, coming after Friday's draw as part of the French Open preview week? We'll have quite a bit as well. Pete or um, Steve, you and Pete Boda will be doing a rally on Thursday about Roland Garros. Um, you know, also you'll have a bit about as we called it the death match. Um, Last or ten years ago, an anniversary match between 
Coria and Gaudio in uh, at Roland Garros. He'll have that up uh, on Tuesday. You know, just quickly, what do you remember from that match? It is it ten. It, it does seem like a little older than ten years at this point, but it's uh, that's why we have the anniversaries to remind us. Yeah, I think we're you know we're used to Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, Murray. This era, this this was the last French Open final before that era. This you know this current era seems to have gone on forever, and this was before. So maybe it feels like sort of like ancient history, a different a different time period when you really didn't know what was going to happen. You had these two guys, Corey and Gaudio, who who would never reach another Grand Slam final. Either of them um, play a really bizarre match in which one of them was supposed to win easily and one was winning easily, and then. And then everything turned around. Um, the crowd got involved. The French crowd got involved. Correa cramped because of nerves. Um, and then each guy sort of gave the match back and forth all the way until the fifth set. I think it, it just sort of is in my memory as the most bizarre and, and sort of hard to explain final. And it also it comes with sort of a, a sad aspect in that, that neither guy really did much after the, that. And you sort of felt like Corey was really affected by by losing a match he was supposed to win. Yeah, it's it's quite a story. We'll uh, let you tell it tomorrow. Um, among other things, this coming preview week for French Open for Steve Tigner. I'm Ed McGrogan here at Tennis.com. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. <laughs>